Welcome to the Yoga Life Podcast. Hello and welcome. My name's Kevin. This is episode 109. This is my new intro. I'm giving it a go. I'm going to change the the first bit to have maybe a more sophisticated voice <laughs> on than you just heard. This is episode 109. This episode is brought to you by Yoga With Me. I have an online platform, if you didn't know, where you can practice yoga in the comfort of your own home for just 19 euro a month. What do you get? Well, you get 60 minute classes. I've got about 35 up right now. And audio meditations ranging from 5 minutes to 15 minutes. I've got about 10 at the moment, more coming up. Most important thing is, Every single week, new content is added. If you want to avail of this offer and you'd like to enjoy yoga with me, then you can go to my website, kevinboyyoga.ie, and you actually get a free week's trial. If you don't like it, try it for a week. You ain't lost a penny. Today, I have with me, that's enough selling stuff, I have with me Dr. Dara Stewart. Dara is an academic, but he's also a spiritual seeker. Dara is a has a PhD in plant medicine, and he has a honors degree in natural science. So me and Dara plan to talk about Western medicine versus Eastern medicine. Is there a place for both? And what actually happens in men's circles, which Dara leads? He currently does them in the Netherlands because it's not legal to do it here in Ireland. And there's much to learn about Dara and these magic mushrooms. So without further ado, here is Dara. Now, Dara, I sit in front of you yeah. with an open mind. I, I would say I'm a seeker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I don't have, uh, I haven't made up my mind about psychedelic experiences mm -hmm. or plant medicine. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I've done other things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I've never experienced what you would call it, um, natural medicine as it mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we, before I hit record, I was just talking to you about the the, the importance of podcasting mm -hmm. to to discuss ideas and to have uh, these podcasts are completely unedited. Yeah, and to to I'm at the moment on the fence, so I could be swayed either way. Yeah, I, I really don't know. And sometimes I might play devil's advocate mm -hmm. as to because I think it's good in order, therefore, to get like a balance balance view. Yeah, balance view. Yeah. Um, so firstly, Dara, if you were at a dinner party, because <laughs> you're an academic, I've done some research about yeah. you, you went to Trinity, you got a PhD, and I'm sure you find yourself in situations where you're with other academics. Mm -hmm. If they're not in your circle yeah. and they say, so what do you do for a living? Yeah. What would you, what would you say? Well, I think, <laughs> what would I say? I'm in the business of opening up minds and also <laughs> receiving people with with um with that you know um so at the moment i'm 
focusing on two two things in my life. I run the five day psychedelic retreats in the Netherlands, and the focal point of this retreat is to high doses of psilocybin, which is a compound in magic mushrooms or mm. magic truffles, which we use in the Netherlands because they're legal. And the retreat is also coupled with um, pre and post psychotherapy and integration work. Right. And then my second passion at the moment in life and what's been really driving me forward in this pandemic time is working with men. So I run men's circles, men's events, men's workshops. And I also support and guide men through, um, you know, challenges or challenges they're having in their life, uh, periods of uncertainty and um, around psychedelic integration and, and phases of, of big growth and change. Mm. So that's kind of like the, the two areas that I've been kind of drawn into in, in the last few years. Um, but my background is in science. I'm a trained scientist. I had a career for, I'd say, 10 years in, in science. I did my undergraduate my PhD, and then I went into full-time research. What's your PhD in? My PhD is in plant genetics. So I'm oh. a molecular biologist, and then I focus in on um, plant plant genetics, yeah, because I had this affinity with nature, and I felt rather than, you know, mm. working with mice or flies, and, you know, I, I preferred uh, the, the, green, the green touch, you know. So <laughs> I think a lot of my job was uh, dealing with plants and, you know, um, growing them and taking care of them and, yeah. then also getting to do really amazing cutting edge science on them. When you say that to people or when you tell them what you do, what is the a typical reaction or question? A question. <laughs> it's all, yeah, the question's always like, how did you get into that? <laughs> you know? Um, you don't read that when you're in school. No, no, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> so it's not on the syllabus. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that? I mean, I suppose... When we're, when we're in school, we're told that there are certain occupations you can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, some occupations that exist now weren't even around 20 years ago. No, not like at all. All the are, IT and... People are professional podcasters sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, but some, some are. And who would have thought that would be a job? Or say an Instagram influencer. Mm. I mean, these, these are all... So it is very interesting. I think there must be a part of people that uh, really admire someone who does something completely different and mm. something that is not a typical route in life. Ah, no pun. There's a pun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, when you have people that, that come to you or you meet that eventually um, join one of your experiences, mm -hmm. what are the main questions they have for you? Uh, for me, they, the questions are generally around how the space is, is held. You know, what are the sort of logistics and um, a lot of questions around when they actually take uh, psilocybin, you know, or is it in a group context? Are they by themselves? Like, uh, what's the process? How long is it? These kind of, mm. uh, these are kind of the main questions like around the logistics of the actual experience. And of course you get all the other questions about like, how much time do I need off after and <laughs> off work, uh, <laughs> yeah, off work <laughs> and these sorts of questions. But Generally, people want to know how how does it actually unfold because not not a lot a lot a lot of people know um, mm. how we actually run it and how it is done because you know um, a lot of the early psychedelic work was done in the sixties um, by some of some amazing amazing people and um, that was all shut down you know because of the war on drugs and and Nixon and 
um, they really clamped down on a lot of the psychedelic substances in the in the 60s due to a reaction to the Vietnam War and the hippie movement and counterculture. Mm. So a lot of the early work was done then, but then that was completely stopped. And it's only in the last uh, five years, really, that there's this like renaissance or re-emergence now in uh, psychedelic science and uh, and using psychedelics for um, for healing as well. So people are kind of just really curious because it's it's not known like do you take it do you what what do you do do you go outside do you lie down by yourself do you do it a group are you awake or you know do you have a blindfold on do you not so <laughs> people have all these questions um but on the retreat we get people to lie down in on their own mat on on a, on a space and they wear a blindfold and it's all an inward journey so everybody's in the same room together four facilitators we have max 12 12 um journeyers on the retreat or clients and they yeah ingest the, the the truffles and then they go on this six hour uh, journey uh, to music so we have this specially curated playlist and that's based on the research from imperial college london and johns hopkins university in the united states and the music really evokes like these emotional sort of turbulence inside you which comes up and then you you process and People have, you know, attachments to different music. You know, the violin is always known as sad and it can remind you of a sad time in your life. Mm. So this will bring up sadness for you. And then because um, the psychedelics are like non-specific amplifiers of whatever is going on inside you, they really like really, really feel it. So you have this felt experience and then you can work through that with the tools that we, we give you before the, before the journey. So mm. it's really about bringing up you know, unresolved emotions, trauma, and then kind of work, working through it with the, with the tools and the skills that we've given you to work with before the retreat and on the retreat. You mentioned about men's circles. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to say to me, Kev, uh, chance to meet other men, have a, get to know yourself, whatever, I would say, start a football team yeah <laughs> do, do martial arts yeah why is that what's the difference between that now we're speaking generally mm -hmm. maybe some football teams are really in touch with their emotions i don't know <laughs> but what's the difference between that men getting together that way or getting together in a way that you facilitate um so for me it's a health container so people are coming with the understanding that they're not going to be judged in that space for how they how they express themselves and when they drop into a space of vulnerability, they know that they're being listened to and heard to. So if you're with a bunch of lads at a football match or martial arts, you know, somebody could throw stuff at you. They could project on you. They could belittle you. They could say something negative to you. And not having that container can be really damaging if someone's in a process of sharing from a very vulnerable space. So the space that we create is also confidential. So you can come, you can say whatever you want, and there's a confidentiality agreement that none of the brothers will share about what what you're going through or or um or your process um unless they they ask you hey i found that really interesting i'd love to share that with my wife because we're going through something similar so it's about having this container or space that's non-judgmental confident confidential and is um you know full of other brothers who are actively listening to you mm. and not butting in so you know everyone gets their time to speak they can speak for as long as they want within reason and um, it's also a space to be to be heard and witnessed so we don't get that often in our lives to be fully listened to 
sometimes people cut in on you or will say oh that happened to me as well and then they'll draw the attention back to themselves so really getting the space to air out everything you want and the the, the power of you know speaking your truth and being witnessed is is what i think a lot of people are looking for nowadays you mentioned the word container when you're playing football mm -hmm. there's a certain dialogue you have there's certain words you use and it's all most like if this person says the same word that i'm used to using mm. i feel more akin to them mm. and underneath it we are looking for connection mm -hmm. as men as humans and football gives us uh, a medium to do that or whatever it is martial arts where we feel like you're like me therefore i can um i can trust you but the downside of that is i find in my experience i've only recently started going back to playing football and when i was young i was terrible at football i was i was always on the bench never picked whatever and I noticed this narrative come up in my head where every time I make a mistake, I'd berate myself, sometimes mm. even out loud. Mm -hmm. I'd go, fuck it, or whatever. Inner critic. Yeah, <laughs> inner critic. And then <clears throat> one of the guys on the team, who's actually a really lovely guy, started doing it to me then. He started saying, for God's sake, you know, do this, do that. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't wait for this to be over. Uh, and what I realized was I went back to what I was like as a kid. Yeah. Uh, whereas in a yoga room, I feel comfortable because mm -hmm. I have done it a lot and I'm, I'm competent to a degree. But uh, in this football environment, I felt like a school kid again. Yeah. And I went home. I had to really, really talk to myself on the way home and be like, I had a bad game. These things happen. Let's carry on with it. But it, it did. It was really affecting me for that for that hour. What what I find being completely honest with you quite uncomfortable about men's circles is i don't want to be i feel, i don't know i'm not used to being that vulnerable with other men yeah uh for me that's my vulnerability is shared with my girlfriend rach now fiance sorry yeah congratulations that's a promotion <laughs> <laughs> i always feel with a baby bit, on the way with a baby on the way is that good? <laughs> but, uh, i always feel a bit pretentious saying fiance <laughs> why well, do you do the french word but um but yeah, so with Rach, she's like, she's the person I give my love to, I can be vulnerable with, and I just keep it with her and no one else. Um, so I am projecting a little bit mm -hmm. here, but is that a common trend? Do other men say that to you? Yeah, and it, I think uh, it's different. What, what I love about the circles are, are is um, you have men from all different backgrounds. You know, we have people who are hardcore meditators really into yoga, really into plant medicine, psychedelics, and, you know, a lot of people who have been on a personal development path or a, 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 a path of like spiritual awakening or, you know, deep seeking um, or self-inquiry. And all of these men, we, you know, come together and each of us have a different syntax and language that we use, you know, based on our previous life experience and, you know, whatever our path is so you, you'll have all the terminology of yoga so if you start talking about you know in this asana the other day and one of the other brothers might have a clue what you're talking about because he just doesn't know mm. but there is definitely a meeting where people will get into this sort of sharing of their authentic self which everybody can resonate with because i feel that you know we're all human beings we all suffer we all have um the same similar challenges especially you know men in ireland we all hold a lot of 
similar uh, traumas growing up. You mentioned, you know, the schoolboy stuff and footballing in school and, you know, bullying and what, or whatever. But there's always this point where, and I love this at, on each circle, that people always say what, what everybody said here tonight in the circle, I resonated with at least one point from each of the, each of the other brothers. Mm -hmm. So there's always this like understanding of people's journey and process and seeing how people uh, navigate like challenges and grow from them. So the men that come on the circles are there to grow pretty much, you know, they're there to grow, support. Um, you know, I love that we always share, you know, podcasts and books. So it's also a really uh, amazing res like uh, information res resource. You know, I, I learn so many new avenues to check or books or like authors or um, podcasts or movies. So there's always this great sharing of, you know, I read this last week or I watched this last week. And then, you know, people, some people take notes. <laughs> I always take notes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and there's following up. Um, and then I think around the vulnerability, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the, the biggest passions for my, for me as a, as a man, because I felt that, you know, men have this really big block to being just vulnerable, you know, being open saying like, these are my struggles. This is what's going on with, with me. And, um, I think there's a load of reasons for that, you know, pride. I think there's this, um, you know, sort of stuff where we're told as, as children, like big boys don't cry, man up, don't share your feelings. All this sort of stuff is kind of like almost like conditioned into us as men, as we grow up. So then we just hold, we hold all this back. And I feel that in being vulnerable and being seen and, and being open, there is huge power for transformation of, um, whatever is going on for you, uh, emotions, you know, emotions just want to be felt. They want to be recognized. <laughs> mm -hmm. So some people don't have partners, unfortunately, or, you know, beautiful mm -hmm. fiancés to, to share with. So the only place they get to be vulnerable is in the circle with other men. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been really beautiful to see, um, so many men come in, you know, each week there's like three or four new people every week. And they always say, Oh, it's my first circle. I'm so nervous. And then, you know, I get to see this journey of them if they continually come where they can't really express how they're feeling in the first one. Maybe they listen to other people and pick up the language or how to feel into themselves. And then two or three or four circles later, they're really sharing, oh, this is my process. This is going on for me. And, you know, um, they have more of a language how to express themselves. Hmm. So I think a lot of men don't feel as well. You know, we use alcohol to numb yeah. and, you know, you know, but this in yoga, trying to get like men into their bodies is like super difficult because we're so cut off. We're a lot in the head. It's the sort of masculine sort of uh, shadow we have, you know, is like being too in the head as men and not enough in the body. Mm. Um, so, you know, I try every, every circle to, you know, do a meditation, get people into their body, see what they're feeling, see what's coming up. Is there any points that their body is crying out to what needs attention? You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of emotions and trauma being held in the body. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's lovely to see this process of men slowly start to change over, over the circles about the language they use, being able to feel into their body more, having more of an idea of what's actually going on, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, some men just come to the circle and I'm, I'm angry and that's all they feel. It's just anger. They can't feel anything else. Like, you know, they can't, well, is it grief? Is it is sadness? Is it a sense of like loss? You know, we're trying to pick it apart a bit, you know, just, so it's trying to, give men also the tools to be able to feel into the body, process emotions and be able to, to, to move through them. It seems like women do that more comfortably than men 
if you I think I I believe I came across your work through Jenny Keane I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. and I and I have uh, Rach has been to Jenny's workshops and you know for obviously for confidential confidentiality reasons I won't say what goes on but part of it is yeah how do you actually feel mm. the common response is I mean in, in London we go this is this is how people greet each other in London you all right all right that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a question and a statement at the same time. One word, yeah. two syllables, done. Yeah. Um, or you might say, yeah, not too bad yourself. Yeah, I'm all right. That's it, done. In Ireland, it's pretty much the same. And um, Great, that's it. Yeah, great. yeah exactly. <laughs> because the f- <laughs> I was talking about this to, uh, I had Sunday lunch around my mum's house. So mum was there, sister was there, uh, Rach was there. And we're talking about work. Mm. The work in the work environment, so being in an office, and now because by the way, to give a timestamp on this, we're coming to phase three of the COVID, which means that things are opening up next week or this week. This is out next week. Um, but in the last few months, we've been at home mm-hmm. and we haven't had office politics or people around us, and we were just kind of taking the piss really about how in an office you go through the same thing you know monday morning it's oh monday again yeah wednesday hump day thursday almost friday friday happy friday oh weekend now monday comes any plans what did you do on the weekend it's the same thing over and over again now i'm not dissing people that do that i was that person Mm -hmm. because i didn't know how to go any deeper mm-hmm. and also it's not the right environment for it yeah if someone says to you on a monday morning in work how are you feeling well i'm scared of dying alone <laughs> yourself yeah <laughs> or why why bother being alive what's it all about they're just going to be like you're a freak yeah, you, what, yeah. I, I can't handle this right now yeah. I'm, I'm going to a meeting so yeah. um so we just find ourselves in a cycle of saying i'm grand or whatever, mm. instead of how we really feel um but what does and i I do want to tie in movement to this because i i believe uh that the work environment when you're sitting in front of a computer Mm. looking at a screen is to a degree unavoidable yeah because that's the way society is going it seems but uh we need i feel i definitely need movement i actually need more than that i need like physical altercations and that's why i like martial arts and football to kind of have a, 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 a essentially a competition yeah right? yeah what i'm curious about in your men's circles mm-hmm. is how does that manifest itself movement uh therapy what does that, what that involve um so well in, in the circles they're you know mostly we we sit in circle for them but i've started to do workshops now where we um incorporate movement into you know the the sort of format so we'd have an opening circle people would share and then we get into release work, which is, you know, getting into the body, releasing in whichever way you you feel your body needs to move. So uh, this could be yoga poses, this could be shaking, it could be, you know, flailing your arms around. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, stuff does get ha- trapped in the body. And one of the biggest problems, I think, in, in modern society is that we're not releasing enough. And I think people really know that now in times of coronavirus, like they really realize that, whoa, going out on a Friday night and having a dance is that's my release, you know, yeah, yeah. or, you know, having a football match, there's been no football matches. That is a release. You're going out, you're getting your aggression out, 
you're getting your you know you're getting your adrenaline up you're getting everything pumping you're getting everything movement moving so at some of the the, the workshops that i've started to run you know we do specific exercises around releasing so there's you know screaming shouting howling mm. you know releasing this pent-up energy there's you know dancing either very slow to get in touch with the kind of watery softer movements of like really bring a lot of presence into the body and see where you have your your blocks or where you're not you're not flexible or you know you're quite static mm. and then there'd be more like you know lots of drumming and lots of like really really releasing out of the body and mm getting in touch with a more like kind of uh, ancestral tribal side of of, of the body is there any um, physical uh, any like partner work um we've done a little bit of partner work you know we do some uh, like martial arts movements and uh, we do some you know at the very basic kind of partner yoga stretches we might do some acro yoga mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> this this sort of thing you know about you know, balance and stability and push hands that tai chi push hands yeah yeah this sort of this yeah. sort of stuff and like you know shoulder to shoulder like pushing each other out and mm-hmm. um and and some some yeah it's funny though what that brings up when you start introducing an element of competition Mm -hmm. even though you may not intend that to happen but the person interprets it as a competition all right if we're pushing each other how how much can i give and take as Mm. opposed to i need to dominate straight Mm -hmm. away do you find that that ever steps over the mark or people like um it gets kind of done in not in what's the word i'm looking for um because i found that difficult like i did this uh shout out to jody kennedy by the way um oh great guy yeah yeah great guy so i did one of his as you could say like a half day retreat and part of it i mean he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu so mm-hmm. obviously he uses a lot of movement and comp- partner stuff but i found myself doing the push hands and i started getting i i couldn't I was trying to play nice, Dara. Mm. I was. <laughs> I was trying. To, I was trying to it's play the competitive streak in you. Competitive streak yeah. came out, and I was like, "No, nah, this person's dominating yeah. me. I can't let this happen." Yeah. And uh, but then, actually, maybe I needed that because mm. it, it played on my mind. And I was like, "Why couldn't I let? Why couldn't I take? Why did I always have to be pushing?" Yeah. So does course, that? Yeah. Do you do you find that that ever happens in? You um, know, yeah, I, I I think what I've seen is you know the some guys have more of a body awareness i'd say you know through whatever practice that they're involved with it could be yoga tai chi qigong or martial arts so they'd be more body aware of what their their actual power is you know they will have like reached their edge several times so they'll know like this is my edge and any more than that and i could break the guy's arm mm. where you might have uh, other men who aren't so sure of their inherent body body power or also coordination you know if you mm. if you're a guy who comes from no sport background you know maybe you're a chess champion <laughs> and you weren't really into sports you know you might you might you know not have full body awareness so you might like push and you might push a guy over but it's i think in the circles everyone knows no one's there to to hurt each other no one's there to be overly competitive but mm. competitiveness does come up you know and that's good because that's that's something that men need to work with you know why am i overly competitive mm. um why do I hate losing? Why do I hate failing? Why do I hate being the worst? You know, like somebody always has to be last if there's something. Mm. And I think in learning to deal with that is also a, a huge journey for people, you know, yeah. especially if you were like at the top of your top of your game in, um, in, in university and maybe you let yourself go a bit and now you, you're in a work environment where you're used to winning all the time. So when you go into business deals or whatever and you're not winning or you're getting told, you know, that's not good enough. You know that's a hard one to swallow and I, I see that with people you know it's you know people used to getting their own way a lot because of their their physical stature in sports 
And then when that translates into maybe yoga, you can probably speak on that. Mm-hmm. And they can't do yoga poses. I'm sure it's really frustrating for those guys or, oh, yeah. or women or women, you know? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think that we are, and this is no secret, we're becoming more um, teaching kids that everyone's a winner mm. and that um, and that it's like when I was when I was growing up, it's like you got to push hard, push hard, push hard, and even if it hurts, kind of get through it, and then it'd be worth it at the end. But I'm interested to see now what the next generation of men are going to be like. Next generation mm. of people are going to be like, are they going to be a lot more compassionate or are they going to be a generation that have grown up on social media and are not good with each other socially mm. and are just used to living in their own echo chamber yeah. where everything they think is reinforced because the algorithm is telling them that what they think is right. Yeah. And therefore they end up in an environment that you're facilitating like a, a retreat and maybe they're look they're asked to challenge their thoughts yeah. or the, their the own belief system. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. How, how they would deal with that. Um, and actually in the, in, on that, on the kind of reinforcement theory, when you're interested in the subject, as I said, the internet will give you more of that. Mm-hmm. And it will reinforce, tell you that you're right. And therefore everyone else must be wrong. Yeah. What I'm curious about, and I don't have an opinion on this, that's why I'm asking you, is you've got Western medicine. Yeah. And for want of a better description, Eastern medicine. Mm. Yeah. Is, is there any value in Western medicine? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> yeah, this, and this is one of my, my absolute passions, you know, like I'm a trained scientist, but I'm also like super interested in <laughs> spirituality and like East, e- like Eastern medicine and uh, East Eastern philosophy as well. And, you know, obviously growing up with all the, the Western ideologies and philosophies. So I feel that there two of them are, should be blended. You know, there's definitely value in both. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to find the middle, you know, I'm trying to bridge science, spirituality um, do, and at the retreats we blend the, uh, the Western medical model with um, the holistic Eastern model. So we have this sort of blending of both, you know, and both have their, their positives and both have their negatives. Mm. Now with, with, uh, in relation to, to Western medicine, I think we've overly relied on parts of the Western medical, uh, the medical system, you know, like antidepressants, you know, something wrong with you, just pop a pill, you know, this sort this sort of um, philosophy. Mm. which isn't working, you know, or, um, you know, just, just getting, getting on with it or dealing with it. Um, and there's no sort of really, I think there's no real stopping. That's what I'm trying to get at. There's no real stopping in the Western modeling. Like you take a pill, you get back to work where I think the Eastern, Eastern model is like slow down, meditate, get into your body, get out in nature. Um, but also in the Eastern, it can be a little bit wishy-washy sometimes, you know, it might be, you know, take, take this herb where we actually have a better alternative with the Western system, you know, because it's, it's been like proven through rigorous, uh, scientific process, you know, low side effects, uh, you know, I really, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, peer reviewed science. Um, but. I think when we blend both of them, you know, you can maybe use, um, say antidepressants for a while, but ideally you don't want to have a dependency on those for the rest of your life. Maybe you start to use them for a time of heavy crisis 
and then slowly move into more like grounded approaches like meditation yoga maybe move start moving on to to natural natural medicines natural su- supplements and mm-hmm. uh, plant medicines um <laughs> but yeah so there's there's definitely two two sides of the coin and both have their positives and negatives because i know people that are i mean jordan peterson I try not to get too personal on these podcasts yeah. and bring in people that I know, but Jordan Peterson talks about the benefit of antidepressants as, as in, you know, from the Western medicine and how sometimes people say, well, it's natural saying as if something's natural, it's good for you, but mm. you know, nature can kill you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uranium is natural. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, but and this brings up like um, a kind of a delicate topic because mental health is so complex. Yeah. And um, I asked um, people had any questions, and someone, or someone who brought up a question, which is a really important point, was um, how can we tell people? I'm not saying we, but how do you advise people mm-hmm. do you say to them like stop taking your is it ssri ssri's yes. ssri's selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors okay yeah. that one <laughs> <laughs> so because with vulnerability um there there is obviously a responsibility on your side of course and yeah. you're a well-educated man yeah um and when people are coming to you that are in a vulnerable state they're struggling with their mental health yeah do you no, I'm playing the advocate here. Yeah. Do you say you don't need those drugs? Mm-hmm. Take this instead, um, mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. Or how do you navigate that? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a really really great question. So this is where we really blend both of the models: the the Western medical model and then the the sort of the East, Eastern holistic model, or not only Eastern. So um, before you come and retreat, you you know you have your consultation call, and we kind of explore if. Where, where you're at, you know, what your story is, maybe what um, what uh, pills you're on or antidepressants you're on or, you know, blood pressure tablets, everything. We get to try and get like a, a full kind of background. And then you, you submit a, a, an application form with everything in detail. And um, the next phase is you have a session with a trained psychotherapist. Oh, so okay. He, 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 yeah, and this is a re- really great thing about a re- retreat. So you get you get three psychotherapy sessions. You get one before you go on the retreat to really see where you're at, you know, and what you're on, really probe you a bit more. And the psychotherapist will all get an indication if you're suicidal, if you're uh, bipolar, if you're uh, schizophrenic, if you have a family history of schizophrenia or any of those. We we can't take you, so we don't take people who have been clinically diagnosed because the research is just too thin on whether uh, psilocybin will negatively affect those people mm-hmm. and cause psychosis. And um, with certain antidepressants and SSRIs, they're known to be contraindicated with psilocybin. So, you know, if you take psilocybin while you're on SSRIs, they can, it can enhance the, the psilocybin and can potentially cause psychosis or serot- ser- serotonin syndrome, where too much serotonin gets used up and then you go into like, clinical depression. So the, the psychotherapy session and the application form will really get an idea of where you're at. And based on that, then 
we will make suggestions on the on the on the published data so for ssris there's a tapering phase so we ask clients to taper off them over a period of six to eight weeks and mm. um, some different some ssris uh, are different than others and they require you know a, a, you know a longer period or um a, 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 com a completely clean period where you don't have any in the system and it, that can take a while so based on the research we, we ask people to, to taper off them and not be on them for the retreat due to any contraindications with with, with psilocybin mm. and then yeah after the sessions uh, at, at the retreat you get a, a psychotherapy session so this is done after your, your your journeys and then is that in person yeah that's in person at the retreat yeah and then the session after the retreat uh, with the with our team psychotherapist is is online as well over zoom mm. so you get you get three sessions and then you also have integration sessions where you have we have group calls before so everyone gets to meet each other and there's group calls after so everybody can check back in and we can see how you're doing and there's like great follow-up and like sharing of, of our journeys after the retreat so yeah this is kind of the advice you know with ssris and there some of them are really nasty you know they can leave really bad side effects for people you can get like brain zaps you can have really what's the brain zap like almost like an electrical impulse in the head like almost like a headache or a flash migraine this these so some of the SSRIs, ssris are really hard to get off some of them are known there's huge court cases in the states now for people who literally can't get off some of the medication because they're so dependent on it that if they take them if they come off them they'll just go straight into clinical depression and there's there's no real recovery plan out there for some of these for, for some of these um, mm. um antidepressants so it's a, it's a really it's a really serious business and that's why we take all the precautions on a retreat with with the psychotherapist and with the the application form and we really try and get a full profile of of each person that comes I wasn't aware about the psychotherapist. Do you have any one any pushback by people saying that's not enough? You need more um, of a, a vetting process. Mm. Um, I I think the the vetting process we have is one of the most thorough in the industry. So there's only I think I'd say five retreats doing psilocybin legally in in the world. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, most of them are situated in the Netherlands, like um, like mm -hmm. Inward Bound, my one. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamaica also has uh, loose laws around uh, magic mushrooms and truffles, so there's actually some some there. And I think there's maybe one or two popping up in the states now due to decriminalization of 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 nature. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's what the campaigns are: decriminalize nature. <laughs> um, so uh, the Netherlands, you know, it's. Ultimately, we don't, we don't want to be working in the Netherlands. We want to be working here in Ireland, <laughs> mm. you know, but due to the legality, we can't, you know, psilocybin is a schedule one or a um, substance. It's totally illegal. It's deemed no medicinal value, <laughs> mm. you know, so, and Ireland was one of the, uh, one of the latest countries to actually ban magic mushrooms and psilocybin. We only banned it within the last 10 years when we closed all the head shops. And this is kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to um, some high-profile, I hope high-profile case ten years ago, um, and then uh, yeah, I think the head shops were also, you know, uh, selling some harmful substances as well. But there was natural ones in there as well, yeah. like salvia divinorum and and some other herbs like mugwort and these like normal normal herbs which have slight psychoactive properties. 
What was the high profile case? Um, there was a man who um, jumped off a, a building and the toxicology report said he had magic mushrooms in his system, but also like the equivalent of two liters of vodka. <laughs> so which one was it you know was it was it the the, the magic mushrooms or was it was it the vodka um you know so it's and like alcohol is still legal in the country you know and mm. you know it's it's the same with psilocybin like you can't drive while you're on it you, you you know you can't you can't do certain things and similar with alcohol you know but like in this country we have such a huge alcohol lobby alcohol is never going to get banned <laughs> ever mm. <laughs> you know um mm. but mushrooms being you know, natural, easily obtainable from the ground, you know, you, never been really monetized. Um, they were just, they were just kind of banned in this blanket psychoactive ban with all psychoactive substances. It was so, it was kind of like a knee jerk reaction. It's like, none of this has been tested. We're just going to ban everything and say there's no medicinal value. And it's the same with, with marijuana, you know, marijuana has been like literally shown to have medicinal value <laughs> mm. and it's still banned in this country and a lot of countries now are starting to open up and use it for you know glycoma parkinson's uh, epilepsy chronic pain depression anxiety mm. um, and it's similar with, with magic mushrooms their their psilocybin with the compound which is in magic mushrooms has been shown to reduce depression um anxiety uh, end of life anxiety which is a big one you know they're giving high doses of psilocybin to people when they're coming near to death and this is helping them to really deal with the grieving process and the thought of dying um because most people don't think about that <laughs> yeah thanks for reminding me yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and you know and then you also have you know psilocybin is working really amazingly with 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 people with these m mental health problems but then it also catapults your 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 personal development, which is an area I'm so fascinated in, you know, helping you get your purpose, give yourself clarity, and it really boosts your creativity, you know. So we know like in the in the sixties when people were taking lots of mushrooms and lots of LSD, there was this massive explosion of a creative artist's colours, clothes, styles, all this kind of mm -hmm. you know, the stereotypical hippie movement, you know. But this was like an opening up of um of creativity. And there's been really great research done recently that shows that if you take psilocybin, it um, really uh, helps you think more um, divergently. So like in a different in a different way to how you would normally proceed. So there's kind of this opening up of seeing things outside the box and seeing other routes to get to get to the the solving of a problem. So mm. um, it's it's a, it's an amazing amazing substance. Yeah it's so easy to i think i mean full disclosure i mean i've partied a fair bit of my time mm -hmm. and i have had times when um i've been stimulated and i'm in a certain like a festival or something and i think wouldn't it be great if life was like this all the time yeah if you like limitless just, or something <laughs> <laughs> you just have open conversations and you are uh, full of love essentially i mean the downside of doing certain uh, you know i don't even like using the word drugs yeah it's like when i say an aspirin or a magic mushroom or saying they're both drugs doesn't it doesn't do it justice uh, drugs has a kind of dirty word a yeah. dirty negative connotation uh, connotation thank you attached to it but um 
in my experience, the obviously the downsides to certain drugs can be really bad. But at the time, it does, for me, it opened up a little crack through 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 a way of uh, of living that mm. i thought oh life can always be like this yeah you can always have these conversations with people it's just we need and alcohol is is there all the time but i've had i've had great times with alcohol but i generally don't drink now yeah likewise and, yeah you <laughs> realize there's better things out there but since, sorry, go down. Yeah, I was going to say that that's really interesting to pick up on that. The word drugs has such a heavy stigma stigma to it, you know? Like, people come to me and I tell them what I'm about and they're like, no, nah, man, I don't do drugs. I'm like, all right, do you smoke cigarettes? Tobacco, mm. <laughs> nicotine. You know, do you drink alcohol? Yeah, ethanol, you know? They're, they're, they're also drugs as well. So people have this like, no, drugs are something only that guy takes in a lane way, you know? Or somebody who wants to escape the reality or... You know somebody who's 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 depressed takes you know but it's not you can use substances uh to actually better yourself you know to heal trauma to uh, have mystical experiences and meet the source or god or whatever your higher power is and it's amazing that you said that you know the thing about uh psychedelics are they can bring you to a place they can bring you to a state of consciousness and show you the infinite possibility of what is capable of your mind and then i'm a firm believer of using psychedelics and plant medicines to crack open your mind as you said you know and bring you to this this place and show you that whoa life isn't just how i've seen it you know there's different belief systems different ways of being different ways of feeling and that um then once you have those experiences, then you start to integrate those in your daily life through meditation, through yoga, through movement, through martial arts, Tai Chi. Mm. So, you know, you can't run after these peak experiences all the time. You have a peak experience with psilocybin or ayahuasca or, or MDMA or whatever it is. And then you try and bring that into your, your, your daily life. Like, for example, you know, I, and I, I feel that festivals have done wonderful for the world. You know, people are trying substances at festivals. So if somebody maybe takes MDMA and they feel this like overwhelming sense of love for themselves, for people around them, it's like, yeah, you know, you can love yourself. You know, you can love your people around. So start doing it on a daily basis. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't need the substance to do it all the time. The substance mm -hmm. can show you that it exists, mm -hmm. the love for yourself and for other people. So then you have to transition into bringing that in, into your, your, your daily life. And for me, um, in the early days when I started to, to try psychedelics, I had this massive ability for self-inquiry and self-reflection that I never had before. I was always quite reflective and, you know, a little bit of an existential thinker. But when I took psychedelics, I could really just sit, you know, a lot of my, my early psychedelic experience were me just taking them and sitting by myself and just literally going through all of my life, all of my mind, all of the questions, beliefs, philosophies, ideologies that I had and trying to see them in it from a different point of view. So when you, when you have that with those experiences, then I feel that you have that then for the rest of your life because you know, well, I can sit down and self-reflect on myself. Mm. So when you have a non-psychedelic experience, like you go to an interview, like now I'll go home and I'll self-reflect on it. You know, how did I do? Which, where, where was I beating myself up? Where was I, you know, being a bit harsh on myself for what I said and having this, like cultivating this, like uh, self-inquiry practice, which, you know, Adivata Vedanta is uh, one of the, the, the deepest levels of work I feel is like really getting in and trying to analyze the, the self. It's also cultivating that sense of wonder mm. because 
this morning I taught a walking meditation as part of my class mm. and how sometimes we think right I'm going to go out for a walk I'm going to go to the park go to the forest and yes you are in nature you are walking through the park but what are you thinking about you're thinking about what you're going to be doing later that email you sent that argument that you might have with someone what you're going to say if they say this instead of walking meditation looking at a tree looking at the leaf on the tree the structure of the leaf the colors how we and the leaf are so similar trees need us we need trees symbiotic relationship mm. the exchange of oxygen carbon dioxide are you thinking about that or are you thinking about um as i said like emails and stuff but it's very difficult to keep wonder in your mind when you're worried about paying your bills yeah. or when you're worried about um trying to keep growing yeah. in inverted commas and when you experience mdma or something similar you have that that little moment where you're like a child again yeah and i think the further we get away from being like a child the more miserable we get mm. or say that in a positive way the more childlike we can be the, the more uh, uh, joy we can find in life um and that i try to is, but when you say it's another word that has a negative connotation being childlike mm. sometimes we think childish mm. or uh, immature like that is for example laughter is considered to be irresponsible yeah. you hear someone laughing in school that's the worst thing you could do is, is to laugh or in church and you get told off for it and then you feel like sometimes if you laugh or if you cry people often apologize yeah they cry i'm sorry i'm crying i'm yeah. sorry i'm laughing i laughed at that thing one so just on this i met uh, jamie white the other day i was saying and one thing I noticed with Jamie is almost straight away, like he said something and we were laughing because we had a, um, a mutual friend and it really, and we had a bit of a laugh here too. And it, you realize that when you and someone else laugh together, you have that moment. It's like you're acknowledging something. Mm. And, and this is a slightly different point and you can pull it back if you like from what I'm going to talk about briefly, but that's why I really admire comedians. Mm. I think comedians are truth tellers. I think they are like the modern, socrates <laughs> i really do uh, because when you're watching something and i mean god ask yourself who's listening to this podcast watching this podcast ask yourself how many times a day do you laugh out loud laugh out, laugh out loud that's lol by the way how many times do you actually like hurt yourself fall over laughing because keel over because you're laughing so much if it's less than three times a day question yourself and i find myself saying I'm like did i actually have a laugh today at all um because when we laugh at something, we're almost like tapping into a truth that we've ignored. Absolutely. And the comedian says something we were thinking, but they were brave enough to say it. And that's why I actually think my philosophy is take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yeah, there's two, two points I want to come to there, but I'll start with laugh, laughing. Like laughter is a form of emotional release. So you have people who will nervously laugh in in difficult situations and laughter and you know smiling is also a form of defense so you might mm. you know start laughing at someone when you're you know trying to you know have a, a bit of a barrier up and mm. um, but laughter is, is is essential to being a human and the more we laugh the better you know it's like i said it's a form of releasing nervous energy pent-up energy 
Uh, it's a form of catharsis. So sometimes on the retreats, people, you know, have this array of uh, emotional release. And one of the ways of releasing is through laughter. So they'll just laugh through the whole experience because it's so earth-shatteringly bizarre that you'll just laugh because you, you can't do anything else, you know, and they'll laugh for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. And some people will even say that like, whoa, that's the first time I've laughed in like two or three years like that, like literally keel over laughing where you can't breathe, you know, mm -hmm. there's something so amazing about that, that feeling, nothing you know, like it. yeah, nothing, nothing like it. Um, yeah. And it was, it was really interesting. You were saying about, uh, walking in nature and, uh, one of the, one of the people that have influenced my life the most is Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, he's a, he's a, a, a Vietnamese monk. He has, oh. um, a retreat in, in France called Plum Village. I mean, he's actually very old right now and he, he's going, he's going, he's gone back to Vietnam to die mm. essentially. But he has this, um, philosophy on interbeing, you know, being in a forest, or wherever you are and realizing that you are everything and everything is existing because you are existing and by you know cultivating presence in these scenarios like being in the forest can show you how everything is related and everything exists um not independent of each other like everything needs to be there like if you look at a leaf can you see the clouds in it that that the rain was once there can you see the sun, the sun, the sunshine that made the leaf? Can you see yourself in the leaf? Because, you know, at one point you would have been dust and, you know, you would have been, yeah, recycled. Yep. So one thing that I really love about psychedelics is it gives you like almost instantaneous, instantaneous presence. Um, you, when you, when you take them, you're sitting there, you're faced, you're faced with yourself. You could, you literally see your thoughts very clearly. This is me. Here I am. And this can be quite a mystical experience for people who haven't done any form of sit, sitting meditation when they first take a psychedelic and they really see, well, this is my mind, all this stuff going in my mind. It could be, you know, whatever work, negative thought patterns, you know, stuff you're holding on from childhood, anger, it's all there kind of like flushing around. So in the psychedelic experience, which a lot of spiritual seekers look for is the mystical experience they want to meet source they want to meet god they want to meet whoever their deity is jesus krishna you know the buddha and <laughs> um, they want this like mystical experience uh on you know some people also who do different psychedelics want to meet spirits want to meet entities you know uh mm. in the dmt sphere like joe rogan says mm. uh, you meet these kind of like machine elves and you know different sort of forms of something that people have associated like this is a is a is a form of of some sort of uh, person or thing you know mm. so people want these mystical experiences of meeting themselves their higher power or god or uh, going back to source or being shattered into the the universe having this ego dissolution where they have no no sort of perception of self anymore like dara is completely gone dara is just oneness now is connected to everything this interbeing that Thich Nhat Khan says um so people really look for these mystical experiences and uh, the research recently has started to show that people who have these mystical experiences are getting the healing that they 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 search for mm. so there's a correlation now between people having these like uh oneness experience and also having this sense of feeling healed or 
feeling a greater part of the world and it gives you the sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself. Mm. A lot to chew on there. <laughs> when I first started doing yoga, completely honest, I was like, this is a load of bollocks. <laughs> like people are like, you know, let your mind be still and kind of... I, I could hear the words and it was like, ah, this is stuff you read on Instagram, you know, and it just, it sounds so cliche. But one of the cool things I heard Alan Watts say once was, um, you are your own teacher. Mm. The answers are inside of you, mm -hmm. but it's to allow yourself to be still and listen. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you said about merging your scientific background, you know, science is really important question everything test it see if it works peer-reviewed studies it's really important but to understand how much uh, we're inspired and how much crossover there is between east and west and this is what i wanted uh, to ask you um if you meet someone who's a scientist and maybe they're not um they're purely stri strictly in that field mm. and they say you know this dancing around the field crying hugging each other this is a load of new age nonsense mm. what would you say yeah well that's actually been part of my journey you know <laughs> <laughs> um because i really started to shift into where i am halfway through my my phd you know i was just really really anxious really depressed really down on myself had this, a lot of things happen to me around a certain period of time where i had this sort of like dark night of the soul you know and I started to really change how I navigated life. And um, people, yeah, people re really, really, oh, what's the word? Um, it made them uneasy when I was around them, I felt. Because, you know, I started to express myself more. I started to, like, dance how I wanted to dance. I started to do the things I wanted to do. I was almost like coming out of that community and... Um, going into another community who you yeah. know in the in in the sort of spiritual sphere or yoga sphere or meditation or plant medicine sphere people accept you and they, they get it you know mm. um and i think that is a really big problem in the western world is we're, we're too in the rational logical side of the brain you know we have there's almost like no room for magic the mystical experience uh esoteric subjects there's there's no room if it can't be um quantitatively proved or if i can't see it with my hands tangibly mm. then it doesn't exist so you'll know yourself when you have um a deep yoga experience when you have a plant medicine experience you see you're not believing anymore you're not having faith you have a felt experience where you know okay this is true for me and that is what i i have really built my life on you know, I'm open, I will go into something and if it's true for me, it's true for me. And what's true for you may not be true for me and may never be true for me based on our previous experiences. But I, I can't discount what you say is true for you because I can I can never know. So, um, kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there. But when they say new age, yeah, like sometimes we've, especially in the last few months, we don't have been able to travel abroad anywhere. Yeah. And maybe it's encouraged people now to appreciate what's in their own country. Um, often we think, if I want to have a spiritual experience, I need to go to the middle of no or somewhere distant, and that is speaks a different language and people dress differently, because 
that's the mystical place and Ireland isn't. Yeah. So my, my point is that, and what I'm trying, trying to ask you is, when people say this is new age, mm-hmm. it's not, is it? No, well, like the Easter traditions have been going for like thousands of years, you know. I think there's been a lot of, and I really hate this about um, spirituality and, you know, my two trips to India in the last two years, I really saw this, how spirituality is almost like packaged in a way for the Western mind, you mm-hmm. know. It's like everyone's going to, you're going to go to this place and everyone's going to whip out crystals and start talking, astral, uh, you know, about what's your astrology and, mm-hmm. um, you know, wearing like funny clothes and, you know, it's all part of, I think, uh, I, I see it as, it's, it's also a form of capitalism almost, you know, it's like people are trying to sell you crystals then and people are trying to sell you different clothes and people are trying to, mm-hmm. you know, sell you stuff. So it's, 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 it's really tricky to try and find what is actually authentic you know, and when I went to India, that's what I was seeking. I was like, where's, where's the authenticity I want to see? I want to find where, like, why is this place so spiritual? You mm. know, where, like, what is the actual essence? And it's a, it's very similar with like Tantra, you know, like the whole Neo Tantra movement has nothing to do with the original Buddhist Tantra. <laughs> mm. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like fashioned for the Western mind and it's more focused on certain aspects, you know, mm. um, and I think people brandishing, um, you know, people like hippies or new age is potentially they don't understand fully and it makes them feel uncomfortable. So if you actually maybe did your research and, and learned a, a bit about what is going on um, in those circles, maybe you might have a bit of a, a, a different opinion. But doesn't Ireland have uh, a rich history with... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like we have such a shamanic, druidic um history that was unfortunately completely wiped from the country when mm. the english came over or <laughs> saint patrick and the you know the catholic colonialism of of of, of ireland um, and in the last few years and i've been part of it as, as well as like this resurgence in um sort of connection to to celtic pa- paganism and celtic shamanism and using these tools and techniques um to better yourself and better your community and you know and it's funny you mentioned people going to these other places it's similar with uh, ayahuasca and san pedro or peyote which have mescaline in it which mdma is derived from you know people are flying to peru people are flying to mexico to have these plant medicine experiences where in fact like in ireland magic mushrooms grow here in the ground we have like one of the the strongest magic mushrooms in the in the world they can't be grown in a lab mm. they can only be um sourced from from the fields and these mushrooms were definitely used in 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 irish rites and rites of passage maybe and mm. the druids more than likely would have used them for you know connecting to the land and and uh, having these mystical experiences and it's kind of like it's, it is tied in irish culture you know we have this like history of fairies and leprechauns like little people and it's kind of almost like psychedelic a bit and you know mm. fairies and leprechauns always live in mushrooms <laughs> there's a bit of evidence oh, yeah. for it you know <laughs> not non-scientific evidence but no, i've uh, seen the pictures so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then as well like the we have so many sacred sites in ireland and the sacred sites are just as old as the pyramids if, if not even older and unfortunately in the country it's it's really terrible our sacred sites aren't being maintained you know we have beautiful cairns down at Loch Crew, which are crumbling because beautiful what sorry um cairns there would have been like uh they're like chambers to, and oh. people say there would have been a place to to bury people or okay. to leave people while they die and 
um, you know, for like artifacts in there as well. And these um, uh, sacred sites, they align with like the summer solstice and the equinox, like new, gra new grange is the equinox. Mm. Um, and, or the, the winter solstice, sorry. Um, Loch Rue is equinox. And, you know, these, these places would have been a, a place of coming together. If tribes would have come together, they would have celebrated, they would have lit ceremonial fires, would have like connected, shared stories, poems. Mm. Um, you know, Ireland has a great creative tradition here. We have great poets, writers, uh, singers, songwriters, and musicians, you know, and this all plays into the creativity that we have as a nation, which I feel would have come through uh, the land, you know, um, mm. in whatever way, shape and form, connect, connecting to magic mushrooms or, 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 their, or, or other herbs or being just immersed in nature. Mm. So we, we do have a really strong tradition here. And I think some of the other cultures... Um, such as the, you know, the Shipibo tribe or the Wixacaras, um, in, in the Americas or, you know, the Native Americans as well. A lot of people are going there and looking at their traditions and seeing, uh, what their rites of passage are, like sweat lodges or vision quests being sent out or plant medicine. And then we're coming back here to Ireland and trying to incorporate those back into our culture, mm. um, and use them to better ourselves and our communities. So we've almost like forgotten here in Ireland, unfortunately, because of, you know, history and what's happened to the country. And now I feel there's a remembering happening now where mm. there's a, people are connecting to the land, more people are trying to live off grid, more people are trying to like get out of the cities, live in nature, more people are going to the sacred sites than ever, more people are gathering in community, like, you know, celebrating and forming, having ritual, having ceremony and it's really, really beautiful to see. And on the, on the retreats, we, we blend this in as well. We blend, um, yeah, the medical model, you know, um, with people, you know, taking the substances in a kind of, a, a, as medical as we, we can facilitate, mm -hmm. uh, very similar to the clinical trials. And we also blend in this form of, uh, you know, Celtic shamanism, which almost like sets the container and gives, gives people the ability to set strong intentions mm -hmm. for the, for the substance and to be able to also like, if you have this mystical experience, then to be able to like have some sort of context to put that in, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, this has been a really big thing that a lot of people love about the retreats are that, that we will be, we also have like singing on the retreats. We have dancing, we have drum journeys, we've breath work. We have connection to nature. We have fire ceremony. We have a cacao ceremony. Mm. We, you know, do a, I run a static dance on the, on the retreats. Mm. You know, we have all of these other practices that are used in all different traditions. We have yoga as well, of course, <laughs> and meditation. And, you know, we blend it all together and that's what people really love. It's like they have these earth shattering life, uh, changing experience lying on the mat when they take psilocybin, it really opens your mind. And then we couple that with all of these beautiful practices that are just as powerful in their own right if you if you dive deep in, 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 into them. So, you know, some people have never done yoga and then you hear they've done their teacher training after retreat mm -hmm. or they've never done meditation and now they've sat to Vipassana since. Or, you know, some people have, you know, started to grow their own mushrooms and spread them mm -hmm. to their friends and, you know, sit for other people and this sort of thing. So... Um, it's sort of like um, a catalyst, you know, that's why mm -hmm. I love to use this word, like the magic mushrooms are a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. They're not a golden bullet they're, or a silver bullet. They're not going to cure all your problems, but they can really open you up and provide this um, point where you can then 
bring in other practices on a daily basis to get you where you need to, to be. And speaking of what get you where you need to be, I do think that travel is great. Travel broadens the mind. More importantly, I think it's good to live in other in different cultures. Like I lived in Korea for a couple of years, lived in Colombia. And it's really important, I think, to uh, live in other cultures, other countries. But sometimes we think like the answer is on the other side of the world when, oh, yeah. when it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And Ireland has got a lot a lot going for it it's um by the way my parents are irish just want to say <laughs> <laughs> i've just got an english accent but um but oh yeah it's all good um but yeah dara so if if people want to know more about you where do they go <laughs> where they go <laughs> uh well they can connect with me on instagram i'm dara stewie on instagram and if they want to drop me an email it's a uh, dara at inwardbound.nl or they can check out the website inwardbound.nl and all our information about our next retreats are, are up there. Um, if they're, yeah, if you're interested in coming on one of the men's circles, yeah, connect with me on Instagram or yeah, drop me an email and I'll point you in the right direction. Um, our next retreats are in November. Um, hopefully coronavirus won't get in the way again. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so we have a retreat in no November. Um, uh, January, uh, February and March of next year. So really excited to get back um, into the swing of things. And then the men's circles, there's been a great evolution with the men's circles. They've really taken off during the coronavirus, you know, because I've moved online and I think it's way more accessible for people, you know, like myself and my um, my uh, business partner, Rob Coffee. We started up the men's circles nearly three years ago in Ireland and we were always doing them in Dublin city centre you know, once a month. And now I have men coming on every week because there's, you know, oh, they can wow. just sign on for an hour and a half. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the men's circles are on every week. I'm hoping to run uh, workshops and uh, our first men's retreat is coming up in August as well. So that's going to be on Sligo. Mm, nice. So if anybody's interested in, in that, in those, just yeah, drop me an email. Brilliant. And oh. I just want to say if, if you mention your podcast, um, we're going to give 10% off for uh, any re retreat that you'd like to come on. There you go. So that's the yeah. Yoga Life podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for enjoying the podcast. If you did, please share it with a friend. Maybe leave a review on iTunes or leave a like on YouTube and maybe even subscribe. Really appreciate you and your time. If you have any questions, comments, feel free to reach out to me at Kevin Boy Yoga on Instagram or on my website. Until next week, have a good one.